Hello and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. In this episode, we're looking at the strange case of Pat McGuire. That's correct, the strange case of Pat McGuire. Now, Pat McGuire passed away in 2009. He was a UFO uh, experiencer from back in the 70s. Looks like he had multiple experiences. I want to focus on here uh, mainly on the reaction that people had, a reaction from uh, apparently a child who was just... Uh, completely unable to deal, it seems like, with all the attention that Pat got. And also from a former friend of his uh, who wrote a tribute to Pat after tra Pat passed away. In this first episode, this first segment, actually, what I want to look at is Pat talking to a University of Wyoming uh, professor who's uh, while he's undergoing hypnosis, relaying an experience that he'd had uh, with his uh brother Mark while they were out checking on the cattle and they came upon a cattle mutilation uh, basically in progress. This UFO had come down and was in the act of uh, levitating this this cow up into the craft and he describes what he saw. I have a link to the uh, YouTube clip. It's a very old clip. The sound quality on it is poor. I did my very best to transcribe it. it took a little while to do that. And we're going to go through this transcript. It's about five and a half, six minutes long. And you can kind of see what he's experiencing, how he's relaying it to the hypnotist. And it just seems so sincere to me as they go through this. You can imagine the terror this guy must have felt at the time. So at the beginning of the clip, the narrator starts off and says, uh, Northwest of Laramie, Wyoming, lives a rancher, farmer Pat McGuire. His father and grandfather were Wyoming ranchers. He settled down here in 1972 with his wife and eight children. At September of 1976, on a ridge about two miles from his trailer house, Mr. McGuire, his brother, and his cousin, Mark Murphy, found two mutilated cows. So that's his cousin. It, his cousin, actually, and then is Mark. It says, the following hypnosis session with Dr. Leo Sprinkle, Director of Counseling and Testing at the University of Wyoming in Laramie, is Pat McGuire's effort to recall more details about an extraordinary incident that happened to him at the time of the mutilations. Dr. Sprinkle is one of the world's leading authorities in cases involving UFOs and human abductions. He has personally worked with 47 people since 1967. Pat McGuire was his 28th case and the first concerning cattle mutilation. And then um, the video begins and it's with this Dr. Sprinkle. He says, uh, well, are you ready? Just go right ahead. You can talk about and describe your experiences. So McGuire begins, he, he's in this hypnotic trance, and he says, It's sunny. So me, me and Mark, were driving around checking the cows. Come upon the cow that was dead. They cut off the nose. Tongue was out. The sex organs were gone. So I said, Remember when whoever said it must have been some sex cult from the university out here messing around. And I says, Probably was. I says, We'll catch him. Yeah. So you see what's going on here. Him and his cousin, they they... They discover this mutilated cow, and the first thought he has is going to this uh, kind of a local story that, hey, these mutilated cows are caused by a sex cult connected with the university. You can see why that might come up in this rural area. He says, so that tells me also that these, this must not have been the first cattle mutilation in that area. He says, Dr. Sprinkle says, okay, that will be fine. I'd like you now to turn your attention to the, uh, the evening that you and Mark were looking at that craft looking through the scope so we've it turns out that there had been some other stuff going on at the farm and apparently uh 
Mr. McGuire had a telescope or binocular or something that he was trying to survey the ranch with to see what was going on. We'll get to that in a minute. McGuire says, uh, I says, Mark, I say, let's get the hell out of here. I says, that star's coming. Either that or my eyes are bad. He said, it's coming. Change from a change from a pure white to an orange. So I said, Mark, I saw it picking up, picking up a cow. I said, you hear that cow? I don't see it falling. Dr. Sprinkle, Sprinkle then says, it seems to be hovering there. McGuire says, right, it's hovering, picking up the cow. Dr. Sprinkle says, can you see the cow? McGuire says, no, Dr. Sprinkle says, but you can hear the cow. McGuire says, yeah, it was terrible, terrible, long, worse than I had ever heard a cow, and I heard a few. Then all of a sudden, I just, I just threw it out for a switch. I said, stop, the craft is still there. Cows, no sound from the cows, just like you threw a switch. It was weird. Back of my neck, hair on the back of my neck was straight up. Dr. Sprinkle says, and the next day, you say you drove over there. McGuire says, right. Dr. Sprinkle says, and what time did you drive over there? McGuire says, we didn't drive over until 10 o'clock in the morning. We waited until it was damn good daylight. We weren't taking a chance. We went and looked all over along the side of the hill. All we found was another cow. And in two miles, just a lone calf bawling for its mom. I said, they took her. We never found her. Never did find her. So you have that hypnotic uh, recollection where him and his cousin come upon this dead calf. They see this light in the distance, this silver, uh, silver type orb. As it comes closer, closer, they realize this is definitely not a star. It, he's, he, he talks about here in his description about the red, yellow, and blue lights, and then this whole thing just turns orange, and they see it uh, lift this cow up, or they assume it's a cow because apparently this this beam must come down or something, but they can hear the cow bawling, making all kinds of a terrible sound, you know, as it's being lifted up into the spaceship, and that's what he's describing. This poor cow being terrorized, these guys on the ground being terrorized, as this cow is abducted toward the ship, which is about where it's about to meet its end. He says, and then at the end of the video, uh, they've got a little uh, scene here with McGuire, and he's got a uh, an illustration that he's drawn where he, with a kind of a map where he saw the ship out, and he's got like a, the quality of the of the uh, video is very bad, but it looks like he has a picture of the craft that he's trying to draw in it or basically showing you where it's at this this ridge and kind of a little valley between the two ridges he says i've drawn a picture of the space a craft that i seen that night and the ridge was 300 feet and the tip stuck above the ridge and that'll give you the size of a football field so in other words he's telling you this craft is the size of a football field as it proceeded down the sky it was pure white of course, the flashing red and yellow and blue lights, and then it turned into a fluorescent orange. The whole ship did. And it stayed this color, and of course, it'll blow the whole area up around it where the cow was. The area with deep red, and you could hear that cow bellering. And that's kind of the end of the clip right there. So he's describing this, what sounds like just an enormous craft uh, coming in, landing basically right in front of him. And picking this poor cow up. Now, the, they had found a cow that had previously been mutilated, but it sounds like the cow that was taken that night, they never did find. Now, that was the one incident that uh, McGuire, uh, one of the incidents McGuire had as an experiencer with these things. Before I get into some of the other stuff, I want to go over an article uh, that I guess was written by his son here, and it's really uh, tragic on a lot of levels to see how 
Mr. McGuire was depersoned uh, after speaking out about these events, and basically his life was ruined. Uh, this article is from HuffPost.com. So this article, I have to tell you, is quite tragic, I think. The title says, My dad was a famous alien abductee. I thought he was a joke. Now I'm not so sure. It's written by David Rydell from HuffPost.com. Subtitle says, I was not at his side while he lay on his deathbed by choice. I chose not to hear his last words. And that's hard for me to accept. Man, that's some tragic stuff. It's got a picture of Mr. McGuire here. It says from circa 1981, smiling. Happier times, no doubt. He's got his cowboy hat on. He looks like a typical rancher from out west. It says, there's one video available on the internet concerning my father, Patrick McGuire. It's strange. Uploaded to YouTube 15 years ago, though clearly recorded much earlier. The video frames another TV screen. That's the, the uh, excerpt that I read from right there. There is constant static and the image is fractured as if the broadcast comes from far away. My father's discussing cattle mutilations under hypnosis. We come up on a cow that was dead. They cut the nose off, tongues out, and the sex organs were gone, he recounts, as though he is sleepwalking through a nightmare. He goes on to describe in great detail a spaceship that launched on his that landed on his ranch and took members of his herd. Their distant, terrified animal cries filling those dark prairie nights. One comment below the video reads, I've lived and worked with cowmen. Can you imagine this guy going to town after this got out publicly? I mean, they were a finicky bunch to say the least. I didn't have to imagine. I grew up with him walking through a small western town. His life by then fractured like that broadcast. He was completely destitute, picking through my classmates' garbage. And when a classmate came to school the next day and told me what they saw, their grin and subsequent laughter left little of the imagination. However, I then joined in with their laughter. That commenter was right. We are a finicky bunch, to say the least. And that's some sad stuff. On May 14, 2009, my dad passed away. My father passed away in Colorado in a Colorado hospital due to cancer. He was 67. I did not speak to him before he died. His last years were spent in homelessness, though he hadn't always lived that way. His last words, so I heard, were about grand conspiracies and sinister deep state, though he hadn't always spoken about such topics. My father's legacy in our small Wyoming town and inside our family is stained with his tales of alien abduction interstellar prophecy and the assistance he was chosen, though he had not always been chosen. There was a time before my birth when he was obsessed with the lore of his rural community, the spiraling complexities of high school dances and the schemes of enlarging his Roman Catholic family. He was normal, caring, and complete. That was before the stars came knocking. Well, you could see how this guy's entire world, his paradigm was just rocked and his family was completely unable to accept the changes that happened to him and they just it sounds like completely depersoned and cut him out of their life even if they thought that this guy was mentally ill and that this was all just a figment of his imagination it seems terrible to have treated him that way just from me looking from the outside in it says when i first saw the bold headlines intelligence officials say u.s has retrieved craft of non-human origins published june 5th 2023 in the debrief i initially didn't think about whether the headline was true i didn't contemplate the recovered crafts might look like or that non-human was just another euphemism for the same thing we've been talking about since 1947. i thought about my father i can see him now as though he were alive today black cowboy hat tilted face tanned and cracked from the high plains sun saying who's laughing now i'm not laughing anymore but not because i know what not because I know that the headline is saying is absolutely true and proof lies just around the corner. I'm not laughing because I should never have laughed in the first place. This is sad. Now, this guy 
completely, it sounds like, disowned his dad because his dad had had uh, multiple UFO and alien abduction experiences. But then years later, when the government comes along, this authority figure says, and it's not even the government in an official cap in an official capacity, but a reported whistleblower comes along and says, "Hey, we've got uh, crashed vehicles and dead aliens." Then the guy does a 180 and says, "Wow, boy, I sure wish I wouldn't have been so hard on my dad." This kind of tells you the brainwashing that goes on uh, in society. It's terrible. In 2017, the New York Times broke news about a previously unknown Pentagon department, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. This department was involved in investigating what were formerly called UFOs, now referred to as UAPs, more shifting euphemisms and acronyms for us to track. Since then, the news surrounding the phenomena has steadily grown. There was a congressional hearing in 2022, the creation of a government's department called the All, the All Domain Anomaly Research Office, and an acid hearing devoted to encounter to encountered and not encountered UAPs, and now a new whistleblower, former intelligence official and AATEP task force member David Grush claims the government cover-up. These programs are retrieving non-human origin technical vehicles, call it spacecraft if you will, non-human exotic origin vehicles that have either landed or crashed, he stated in News Nation recently. What, will, <clears throat> what once seemed to be the premise for the X-Files reboot has become front-page news, gaining mainstream consideration by the series the rational, the institutional, and the scientific. It's strange to be here in this cultural moment. I think many people feel that to some degree, whether this is all true or not, it is an unmooring to, it is unmooring to read that U.S. Senator Christian Gilderbrand is demanding disclosure on a subject that only a decade ago would have been political suicide even mentioned. To read former Pentagon official Lou Elizondo state, my personal belief is that there is very compelling evidence that we may not be alone is surreal and stranger still is reading about government UFO agencies and black money in the New York Times. It must be very tragic to have to develop your entire self-image, your entire image of the universe, how things work, your belief system, for that to all be dependent on what other people think. Anyway, the article goes on a little bit. It says, I know that stigma, well, having experienced it from both sides, my father was born and raised in Wyoming and was a rancher like his father and grandfather. He nestled into a western community that branded their cattle and youth alike with abstract symbols that found definition in the regularity of rain and saw acreage as an, appropriate, as an inappropriate subject to discuss openly. Asking about the size of man's spread is like asking to look at his checkbook, he said to me once laughing. And one local recently told me he could break a horse like nobody's business. He was real sharp like that. Shame what happened to him. My father, <laughs> shame what happened to him. Shame what was done to him. My father saw UFOs not once, once like a dinner guest might claim after a glass of wine, but many times. Numerous UFOs all at once up close, lingering in the western Wyoming sky like a nightmare that refused to dissipate come sunrise. In 1981 on NBC's primetime TV show, That's Incredible, my father's story gained national attention as he related under hypnosis the specifics of his abduction claims and the demands aliens had made upon his life. On March 5, 1980, airing of ABC's Eyewitness News, he reported that UFOs had landed on his ranch somewhere around 25 to 30 times, and witnesses present were quoted as saying they saw two or three of them land at separate times, and we stayed and watched the sun come up and saw two of them in daylight hovering at two separate places. A headline on in March 24, 1981, National Enquirer reads, Farmer 
aliens use my ranch as their landing place, and it reports that local newspapers and television reporters have also seen strange lights darting over the McGuire Ranch. There appear to be no shortage of witnesses to what was happening on his land. While we cannot be certain of what we saw, Casper Star Tribune investigator reporter Greg Bean wrote on June 29, 1980, None of us left the McGuire farm with as much skepticism as we arrived with. Perhaps we can return. So, people saw the same thing that Mr. McGuire was sawing. But nobody stood up for him, really. My father's claims continued under hypnosis with famous UFO psychologist R. Leo Sprinkle. He recounted, he recounted abductions by star people who demanded his actions in conjunction with their plan for humanity. These star people told him of a coming climate apocalypse. Following this hypnosis in a, more, in a mere handful of years, he was completely destitute without home or family and he claimed that government forces were keeping him that way because of what he saw and said. This story is irregular in the UFO community. In fact, the story of Grush the whistleblower is no surprise to the community. The folks who did believe and respect my father. My brothers and I laughed when our father talked about the implants and their accompanying pain. It sounds like maybe he was implanted. We laughed when he claimed he could barely walk after what the star people did to him. We laughed when he said he was suing the government for the land they took from him, for destroying his life, for destroying our lives. We laughed. The world laughed. If you were not one to laugh about UFOs, and you didn't, then you didn't say anything at all. And if you did, you hesitantly considered the person you were talking to first, making sure they would not laugh at you, too, before you said anything at all. For many, it was a precarious high wire if one was to discuss the trauma of the phenomena or its reality. When we weren't getting our meals in school, my father often took us to the local soup kitchen in a basement bunker in the town Episcopal Cathedral. In the town Episcopal Cathedral, I remember best the dampness, the walls, and the claustrophobia of dining elbow to elbow with the other folks, weathering the financial storms outside, breaking expired bread to share over lentil soup. We were often the only children in attendance. For most of the dinners, this was for most of the diners. This was the last place to go. The person across from me would make small talk between spoonfuls, but nothing of the weather or local gossip. In, soup, in the soup kitchen, the talk was of remote viewing, reverse engineering, and tapping into the collective consciousness for cosmic spiritual growth. I would nod with feigned excitement and encourage them to continue to go deeper. What about the face of Mars? I would ask with a smile. My brothers and I often failed to contain our laughter. As the role contemplates Gresh's claims, I'm the one who feels ashamed. These potential findings mean only one thing to me. An accounting must be made. How should we address our past mockery and ridicule if it turns out that hidden in a desert base somewhere, there are indeed crafts, cadavers, and photographs of strange visitors? Regardless of the origins of the metallic orbs, tic-tac crafts, and flying saucers, and independent validity of Gresh's claims, we should feel impelled to investigate and rescue a community living with the trauma of the unknown and indescribable. A community we greeted with sneers and derision for so long, a community we pushed to the outskirts of cultural limits to be safely ignored. If it is all true or it is all lies and sickness, we should approach both valuations with care and consideration, even skepticism, but not with the intense ridicule so many of us have given them for so long. I think I've covered this enough, except I want to take a look at this second. I found this on, it says, churchofufology.blogspot.com. Someone's reprinted apparently. It says, Wednesday, July 27th, 2011. That's the date on it. And the title says, Pat McGuire, My Friend. Pat McGuire died May 14th, 2009. And then it says, This article was written by Bonnie McGuire. Today I found out that Pat had passed away on May 14th, 2009. I was in shock. 
Pat was a good friend and spent many nights at our house. He was exceptional and made me laugh. His eyes would sparkle and you could and you would know that he was teasing. I'm glad he was my friend. There will never be another person like him. I will miss him. At least now he knows the answers. It says many years ago we were visiting relatives in Wyoming and I asked my and I asked an aunt if she knew anything about the strange cattle mutilations reported throughout the West. She quietly nodded and brought out some news clippings about a cousin's personal experience concerning cattle mutilations. His abduction and other events connected with UFOs, according to the detailed accounts in the Casper Star Tribune, and it's got the dates, 1980 and 1983. His adventure began when he felt a compulsion to dig a well on his ranch. A 1,100-acre parcel situated about 30 miles north of the Laramie, of Laramie near Bolsler, the Prairie Basin area is about 7,200 feet above sea level, and in 1971 was mostly covered with sagebrush. Most people didn't think there was any water, and well digger companies refused to drill for what wasn't there. Pat was convinced there was water, so he and a friend built their own rig and started drilling. Sounds like a pretty smart guy. A geologist was helping Pat in the final days of the digging of digging the well. Pat had invented a spatial drill blade to cut through the rocky ground. One evening, there was a huge bang on the side of the trailer house where Pat and the geologist were sleeping. The, the geologist was scared to death. Pat jumped out of bed and into his boots. He hit the floor running and yelling, The water is here! The water is here! Sure enough, the well gushed 8,000 gallons of pure, soft water per minute. That's a phenomenal amount of water. His neighbors thought he was crazy, but their jokes turned to awe and disbelief when he realized that he tapped into an underground river at 350 feet. Pat was able to turn his sagebrush ranch into an oasis of irrigated grassland. His was the only land in the area with enough water for cash farming. Neighboring ranchers failed to, give, failed to find any water. The next summer, Pat planted crops. Though di through difficulty, he got the water wheels to water the crops. In the mornings, he would go out to inspect the equipment. More often than not, he would find that someone had tampered with the wheels and he would have to repair them. He did see someone once at night through his telescopic scope. Pat never did figure out who was sabotaging his water system. After the crops were harvested, Pat took them to the elevator. It was a prime crop, perfect in every way. All the elevators were full, so they stockpiled the crops on the ground. When he was time, when it was time to sell the crops, someone had mixed a lot of other types of crops into his. The buyer said it was tainted and would not take it. Pat had been counting on money from the crops to pay for the ranch and the water system. After that, everything went downhill for him. We remember seeing a strange story on television that's incredible in the October 1973. A man elk hunting with his brother-in-law in Wyoming, the Teton Mountains, became lost for six hours. When he was found, he couldn't remember anything during those hours. At the time, he didn't realize we didn't realize the man was Pat. It wasn't until 1978 that Pat began to realize what happened. That's when he met Dr. Leo Sprinkle, a noted parapsychologist and UFO authority at the University of Wyoming. Under hypnosis, Pat recalled being lost in the snowstorm while elk hunting while hunting elk in the Teton near Jackson, and of being taken aboard a spacecraft into an oval room where aliens telepathically instructed him to plan for the well. Aliens appeared to be the aliens appeared to be human, six feet tall, weighing around two hundred pounds. They had large eyes, thin lips, were bald, and had no bridge on the nose. Their clothing was black except for a silver belt buckle with a star representing the star of David. Wow. Pat wasn't sure 
about them being from other about them being from outer space or another dimension, but their craft was propelled by a sophisticated magnetic system. This destination, the destination was a distant planet. The system simply locked onto the planet, and the planet's magnetic pull drew the craft to it at a tremendous speed. They could hover motionless indefinitely or perform impossible maneuvers. The aliens told him that they were monitoring his well for some reason. Once he tried to. Once he tried to shoot at them, but they paralyzed him from the neck down until they left, so he decided to leave them alone. Dr. Sprinkle believed this experience's description of the craft and beings because they were similar to the accounts of about 200 others he'd worked with. In 1980, Pat invited Dr. Richard Fleck from the University of Wyoming, five-star Tribune newspaper photographer Richard Forsetch and reporter Greg Bean out to the ranch to watch the show, as Pat called it. That night, they camped on a hillside overlooking the vast basin where the farm was within camera, was with camera ready to photograph their first UFO. Around 3 a.m., a strange sequential light flashing blue, red, yellow, and white appeared on the horizon. It moved straight up and down, several hundred feet at a time, then stopped and rocked back and forth across the sky. For about 15 minutes, the object continued its cosmic dance and then flashed across the sky. According to the reporter, the landscape was too dark to allow a photograph with perspective, and the object was too far away to recognize any exact detail. The witnesses weren't certain about what they saw, but felt less skeptical. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Pat's sister said she didn't believe him either when she and her husband first moved there, but when one of these things lands in the field in front of the house or hovers directly overhead, it's hard to ignore. At first, Pat's children were frightened, but eventually got used to the intrusions. The craft were about 300 feet wide and 60 feet tall. The Star Tribune reported that the only time Pat was frightened was after he and his brother-in-law saw a hovering craft pick up a young calf one morning in, the 19, in 1976. He thought it was a government craft. He became determined to catch whomever was doing it. Night after night, he watched, and sure enough, one night, a light from a craft came down and picked up a calf. At that moment, he was watching through the telescopic lens on his rifle. He started to squeeze a trigger. At that moment, he became completely paralyzed. He could only move his head. An entire entity named Michael allegedly appeared for the first time right beside him. Pat almost had a heart attack. The entity was six foot tall and wore a black skin-tight jumpsuit that looked like spandex material. He wore a belt with the insignia of a six-pointed star in the buckle. Two weeks prior to the incident, two of Pat's cows had been mutilated within a few miles of the house. After that, there were no further mutilations or aggressive actions, so the family felt relatively safe. So this is an extremely uh, long uh, article just detailing all the different experiences that Pat had with these aliens and this uh, alien character, Michael. And the story just becomes more and more detailed and convoluted. It seems like, it seems like uh, Michael's, it seems like Pat's life really just spiraled into this um, downward trend really because he was trying so hard to do what these things were telling him to do following their instructions you know almost like to save the world or something it's something that we do see sometimes with these abductees where they are just overwhelmed by the contact with whatever these entities are and i have to tell you at this point when something brings that much confusion into your life and it does seem like there was a lot of confusion brought into pat's life you have to ask yourself what the source of that confusion is all of this strange bit about these things wearing the black uh, jumpsuits with the Star of David belt buckles, getting into almost like this uh, religion of environmentalism, 
to my mind, it appears as though they were just overwhelming Pat with this notion that he was chosen to spread the world and save the planet. Now, these uh, personal encounters that he began to have with these aliens seemed to be uh, a, a completely opposite what he, of what he first sensed. Now, the sad thing about this was it doesn't seem like he had anybody who he could sit down and really critically analyze what was happening to him. He couldn't entertain the possibility that he might be a victim here and not a chosen one. And maybe he could have done that if he would have had a safe space to talk about his experiences, but it doesn't look like he did have a safe space. Even other people, uh, other reliable witnesses who saw some of the same things he did, they simply said, well, we can't explain this and went on their way. It's kind of, I suppose, a defense mechanism to keep from letting your life be destroyed. At some point, I think people, when they, when they witness these things happening, they have to protect themselves. You do have to build a certain psychological wall around yourself so that your life isn't taken over by it. And the sad thing about Mr. McGuire is it seems like his life was taken over by his experience. It was taken over in a very negative way. Until next time, this is UFO Warning, over and out.